The scripture reading today is taken from the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, starting from verse 21 and going through chapter 3, verse 6. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of the wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll, we'll spend a few minutes there, but we're going to talk about a lot of different scriptures this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, we're going to be, t- be talking about a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. Now, well, we're in our study of the, the book of Ephesians, and we've been talking a number of weeks on the whole idea of, of the roles of men and women. And now that we've gotten into uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and following, that passage which deals with husbands and wives, we have covered the portion for the wives uh, in two lessons, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But we, I want to take to this morning to focus a little more on practical application. And what do we do, or what do you ladies do with this? And then what are the rest of us who are not wives, what do we do with this? And so, so those of you uh, ladies and young ladies who are not wives currently, don't check out. This is for you too, and I'll have some things to say to you. And and men, don't check out either, okay, because these are there's, there's some things for us to do as well, even though we're talking particularly to the wives this morning. If you are married, if you've been married very long, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And those of you who are anticipating marriage, you'll find this out very soon. <clears throat> your relationship with your spouse is an important uh, tool that God uses to sanctify you. Marriage is an all-out war against self-exaltation. But as we are being sanctified, 
our self-exaltation gives way to Christ's exaltation. And that's what we've been trying to focus on, because a lot of times we, we can come to a passage like this and talk all about how wives must submit and husbands must love their wives. What, what does that mean? And that's right. But we miss the primary actor, if you will, in this passage, which is the Lord Jesus. And it's really all about him. And that's what we've been trying to draw out. And so as we talk about <clears throat> practical application this morning, it it is not just so that you ladies will be good at submitting to your husbands in a godly way but it's so that you can bring attention to Christ because that's really what it's about primarily is you bringing attention, drawing attention to Christ. So this makes marriage challenging yet rewarding because sanctification comes through it and even more so the opportunity to exalt Christ. It can be very rewarding. It should be. Well, if you've read very much from J.I. Packer, you know that he's skilled at saying things in ways that make you think. And he once said that achieving a happy compatibility of incompatibles is part of the maturing effect that marriage is meant to have. And I just love that. Achieving a happy compatibility of incompatibles. Okay. I know we talk in terms of well, you know, I want to find somebody that I'm compatible with to marry. Or if things don't work out, well, we weren't compatible. Well, you're both sinners, so you're not compatible. Okay? There is a, if you're a sinner, and you are, only Jesus wasn't. If you're a sinner, there is no one that's compatible with you. At least not to start out with. And that's what he's talking about here. That's the, it's the process of taking two incompatible people, two sinners, and changing them, growing them, until they have what he calls here a happy compatibility. And I just love his wording. So briefly, let's look at Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. I want to read that. Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So in our last two lessons on this passage, we learned that spirit-filled wives, and that, remember, goes back to verse 18, which is the, sets the context here. Spirit-filled wives are responsible for submitting to their husbands out of wonder and awe toward Christ. And that is another way of saying what we understand the Bible to teach, that for believers, the fear of Christ, again, verse 21, that's, that sets the stage for how do we think about this. It has to be in the fear of Christ. But for a believer, fearing God is not terror fear. Okay, A believer should not ever think in terms of, oh, you know, God's going to get me. That doesn't belong to a believer. It is instead, and we, we looked at this in more depth, wonder and awe toward Christ. We also learned that a Christian wife can be confident in submission, knowing that it's God's wise care for her. She can be confident in her submission, knowing that that submission, that what he's called her to do is his wise care for her. But after having covered all of that, she may still have some questions like, how do I do this? And so 
This morning, we're going to walk through some key questions to see how Scripture helps us to answer them. And we're going to be pursuing this or showing this, that Scripture teaches wives how to submit to their husbands in ways that are uniquely Christian. Scripture teaches wives how to submit to their husbands in ways that are uniquely Christian. And and I also want to say, ladies, as we go through this, I mean, this is going to be, you know, primarily focused on you, especially you wives, okay? Because that's what he says here, wives, okay? But resist any temptation that you might have to think that I might be suggesting that if there's problems in your marriage that it's your fault, okay? So hopefully you know me better than that. Um, But just to remind you that we will get to the husbands, okay? And and you might have noticed that it has a lot more to say. Paul had more to say about it to husbands than he did to even wives. So ladies, hang in there. And just remember that you ladies who are in Christ are God's children just like the men who are in Christ are God's children. And remember Hebrews 12, God is an equal opportunity disciplinarian. Okay, so in some of these things in here that are going to be disciplinary for you from the Lord, not me, just remember that, you know, he loves you just as much as he loves your brethren and he will discipline you just as lovingly. He is equally committed to training you. And disciplining you. And that discipline is is really training. And sometimes it deals with sin. But it's training. So, first question. What are problems that hinder good communication? As you ladies would ask. What what are problems that hinder good communication with my husband? So, let's think for a minute about ungodly communication. We'll deal with that first, and then we'll talk about what is what does godly communication look like. But when I'm, when I'm talking about communication, whether it's ungodly communication or godly communication, I'm thinking in terms, just as the Bible does, both verbal and nonverbal. Okay, and I know... Uh, because of the way it's misused, uh, a lot of people push back on, you know, what they call the tone police. Okay, well, sorry, but tone matters. Okay, now, yes, it gets abused sometimes, the way people use things like that, but body language, tone, all the, the nonverbal communication. I mean, there's, I've got a whole list of verses that Wayne Mack put together about nonverbal communication, okay, that it's important. And and so both I have both in mind here, verbal and nonverbal. We're going to see both of them as we walk through various scriptures this morning. But <clears throat> ungodly communication, it, it as you would imagine, brings trouble to the marriage relationship. But it also reveals, ladies, that uh, if you have ungodly communication, or if you're manifesting that, it shows that you are submitting. You're not submitting, but you're submitting begrudgingly. And as we've said in an earlier lesson, a biblical submission is voluntary. Your husband is not told, make your wives submit. It doesn't say that. It says, wives, you submit to your husbands. Okay, it's voluntary. Now, it's not optional, 
But it is voluntary, and it needs to be willing, just like Jesus. He willingly obeyed his Father. He willingly submitted himself as the Messiah to his Father, and he carried out his will. That's how it should be for you as well. But when, whenever you are manifesting ungodly communication, and if you are submitting, you're, you're showing that it's begrudging. You're doing it begrudgingly. Let's just talk about a few. Avoid nagging. Okay, so if you've read Proverbs, you know that it talks about that. Um, that idea of nagging, contentiousness, uh, also refers to provoking conflict, which is one of the things that nagging will do. Think about a couple of Proverbs. The contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. And so what does he mean by that? Well, you can think about, you know, you're, you're trying to think and the faucet is, you know, dripping, 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 you know, dripping. You know, and it, or you're trying to sleep, and all you can hear is drip, 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 and it just gets louder and louder in your head, right? That's what nagging is, or what it is like. It is better, another proverb, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So I, I don't know if I've told you all this story. I don't know if it's true. It's one of those things that's probably you know apocryphal or something. It's like you know really. <clears throat> but so there's there was supposedly these two couples and they were talking and and so this husband kept referring to his wife and he kept calling her Peg and the. Their friends said, now, why do you call your wife Peg? That's not her name. And he goes, well, it goes like this. He said, Pegasus, or Peg is short for Pegasus. And Pegasus is an immortal horse. And I figure an immortal horse would also be an immortal nag. And that's what my, my wife is. And so I call her Peg. <laughs> okay. That just <laughs> gets across this idea. Now, don't, guys, don't call your wife Peg. And we have a little thing we call a peg alert. What Connie will say, here, peg alert. In other words, you know, so that she's getting ready to remind me of something. Okay. And and so, so you can use that. But guys, don't call your wife peg. Okay. <clears throat> but wives understand that nagging is one of those manipulative techniques. It's like, I'm going to wear him down until he, till I get my way. till he does things my way. Okay. Um. And we're going to talk about manipulation in a second, but that it's not okay. And so the Bible calls that out okay, in these two Proverbs, Proverbs 19.13 and 21.9. Also, avoid disrespect. Now, we have the positive, which we'll, we'll see a little later in Ephesians 5.33, and we'll see uh, here in, in a little bit in 1 Peter 3.2, that, that you ladies are to respect your husbands, but the... Uh, ungodly behavior would be disrespect when you show disrespect for your husband. Okay, the manipulation that I mentioned. Um, manipulation is bad for a lot of reasons. Um, for one, it's not truthful. Uh, so when you're manipulating, you're, you're deceiving. Okay, you're trying to work things out so that you get your way. But it's also, it imitates Satan because that's how he works. And so, ladies, if you're ever tempted... To manipulate, and I've read some things in, you know, some 
supposedly Christian books on on marriage and telling wives and giving them ideas about how to manipulate their husbands, thinking in terms of, well, if you can get him to do something good and godly, you know, to learn to be a better husband, then, you know, manipulation is okay. No, it is not. That's imitating Satan. And it is not truthful. Also, avoid talkativeness. Um, for for some people, communication, they, they use that term communication, it's actually about just expressing their opinions. They, they want to share with what's on their mind. Now, that in itself is not necessarily bad, but for some people, that is, is the whole thing. It, it's just they, they want to share every thought that they have. And communication, godly communication, is not merely about expressing your opinions. I'm not saying you can't express your opinions, but not in a talkative way. So think of these uh, verses. Proverbs 18.2, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. In other words, that's all he wants to do. He doesn't really care about what you, you know, whether you understand this or what you have to say. It just, he just wants to reveal his mind. Proverbs 19 or 10:19 When there are many words transgression is unavoidable When there are many words transgression is unavoidable the idea is that you know if you just kind of you know open the faucet full force and as those words are coming out you're going to you're going to end up sinning okay and we've probably all learned that to some extent hopefully and and so that's something to work on but he goes on to say but he who restrains his lips is wise James tells us in James 1.19, be slow to speak. Proverbs 29.20 similarly warns this. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So again, for us, not, not only, you know, don't turn the faucet all the way on and, and just let it pour, but also don't be so quick to talk. So, you know, make sure that your words are filtered through your mind and your your soul and as you think this biblical grid is are the things that I'm getting ready to say going to be honoring to the Lord are they going to be helpful they're going to be constructive you know those kinds of things okay now you may be saying well okay some of that the nagging part yeah that was directed toward wives Um, but the rest of this is for all of us right and really, the things I'm going to be talking about are things that all Christians should be working on. But, ladies, um, think about this. You know how you are, and we'll do this in, in marriage counseling, in premarital counseling. And sometimes somebody will think, well, I, I, you know, yeah, I know I, I speak disrespectfully to my husband or I speak harshly with my wife or, you know, and I just I can't stop. And and we'll point out, like, okay, so pick somebody at church that you respect. And we'll say, you know, would you talk that way to Avery? Well, no. Or the Ruscos? No. The Johnsons? No. Okay, so you can avoid that, right? You see, so what I'm getting at is that the relationship with our spouse, this goes both ways, it's something we have to work on in particular. You see, because just because you might do it well with other people, think about how you are at church. 
okay, your speech is probably a, a good notch or many notches higher than your speech outside of church, especially at home, right? Because, I mean, we can be at home, especially if you've got little kids and you're trying to corral them all like herding cats and, and get everybody ready, get them in the van and get, you know, and, you know, your speech can be you know, not godly. And you get to church and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you've got the little halo above you, right? And it's like, so you have to work on these specific relationships, especially the relationship with your spouse. You need to give particular attention to it. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's just don't think in terms of, okay, because when I'm talking to people at church, I do really well. And at home, I don't. It's the people at home that are, that are the problem. Don't think that. Because it's your speech. So it's your problem. Now, they may have some things they need to work on too. Okay? But your speech is your problem, is you need to work on that. So think in terms, ladies, of your relationship with your husband in a particular way. Um, and because of, you, know, you think about submitting, none of us likes submitting to anybody. We don't, a lot of, there are times we don't like submitting to the Lord. You know, and you say, oh, no, John, <laughs> yeah, and you, you don't. You don't submit to the Lord perfectly, okay? We don't like submitting. And so you ladies, you're, you're given that subordinate position in the home, so your husband is the head and, and you are to be his helper, but you're subordinate to him, and, and that makes it tough. I get that. So you have to focus on that relationship and hone your communication skills, which we're going to see is a part of your submitting. Second question, ladies may ask, how can I improve the quality of my communication with my husband? So, okay, John, I get what you're saying. Things like, you know, nagging and manipulation and disrespect, talkativeness. Okay, I need to work on that. But what are some positive things for me to work on? Not just, remember, put off, put on. So it's not just put off, but what, what am I to put on? Well, Wayne Mack points out that effective communication involves people coming to a common meaning so that both the sender and the receiver are drawn together and mutually enriched and encouraged. You see that? What he's talking about, they are drawn together, both of them, they're mutually enriched, mutually encouraged. And then he gives a couple of verses from Ephesians 4. They give grace, they build up, they are true, based on truth, okay? And so, to think that way about communication, communication is not just talking, okay? We sometimes think that. And it isn't just talking, because listening is a part of communication. But also making sure the other person understands what you're saying. That they are receiving, and that, that you're saying A, and they're receiving A, not B, Right? Godly communication is a key aspect of a Christian wife's submission. That This goes hand in hand. You may be saying, okay, John, Paul's not talking about communication. Well, he's talking about submission. And if you're to submit in a godly way to your husband, communication is a huge part of that. And, and really, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road. That's where we find, like in counseling, that there are, are issues. 
in the way that you communicate. And remember, it's verbal and nonverbal. And so you may be complying with your husband says, okay, this is what we're going to do, and you comply, but you do it either in a way that it's just, you, you don't say anything, you just do it. Well, that communicates, right? You didn't like that. Or you kind of just grumble. Or, you know, you, you, you shuffle your feet, and what, something. You, you, you're, you're communicating, okay? And that is a big part of your submission. And thinking in this way, it sets you ladies apart from the merely external submission of non-Christians. Like, like I've said, there are millions, maybe billions of people out there, women out there in the world who submit to their husbands. Okay? What, how, does, how is yours different? It has to be different. Or you're not doing it right. You're not doing it as to the Lord, as he says in verse 22. You're not doing it in the fear of Christ, verse 21. How is it different? And a big part of that is, is how you're communic- communicating to your husband, the children, uh, other people around you. You know, your kids pick up on that. You know, they get a lot more than you realize. And, and so the attitude that you have toward your spouse. As I said, biblical submission is voluntary although not optional, and it is to be done willingly. A godly wife will communicate both verbally and non-verbally that she is happy to obey her Lord Jesus by submitting to her husband. Okay, ladies, think about that. Well, I always submitted to my husband. Okay, (laughs) did you communicate that you're happy about it? You know, and I know that's, that's hard, okay? But just hang in there, ladies. The guys are going to have a lot of hard stuff too. Okay, but that. But think about that. You know, do you communicate that you're happy to obey your Lord because He told you to submit to your husband? Remember, your submission is a subset of obeying Christ, your Lord. And so, is that? Or do you give that? Do you communicate that? You're going to communicate that it's not mere compliance. And so, what a godly wife will communicate are these things, uh, as you'll see on the next slide. A godly wife will communicate gentleness, pleasantness, respect, love, kindness, and self-control. We'll touch on a little bit of that, but I've given you some verses there. There are more available, but those are some ones to get you started so that you can work on. And you can say, okay, you know, I don't really communicate pleasantness. When my husband says, okay... I've got a I've got an important meeting next week, and will you help me pick out my clothes? And will you make sure that you know they're cleaned and pressed and whatever it needs to happen? And uh, okay, that wasn't pleasant. That was there was no pleasantness in that, right? Um, you know, respect, kindness, self control. Okay, that's a biggie. You have self-control in the way you respond and what you're communicating. So these are some things that that you can work on. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but you, you're, you're familiar with these um, from other things that we've said in plenty of lessons. But the point, again, uh, that I've been trying to drive home throughout all of this, how is your submission uniquely Christian? How... Does your submission look differently than a Muslim woman's submission? 
Okay, if they don't look different, there's a problem. Okay, because you serve the Lord Christ. And He lays out very specific character traits that He demands be a part, a huge part, an obvious part of your submitting. Okay. Another question a lady may ask, how can I know when I'm making progress in the quality of my communicating? So maybe you feel like you've been working on it, but things aren't getting better. How do you know whether you're making progress? Well, first of all, ladies, don't assume that it's all your husband's fault when he doesn't like to talk to you. Okay? There may be fault there, likely is, but don't assume that it's all his fault. Okay? Because, think about this, like I was saying earlier, I can bet you that he likes to talk to other people. You know, talks to his friends at work, talks to the, you know, guys that he does this and this and this with. Now, again, I'm not saying it's all your fault, ladies. Again, we'll get to the guys. But don't assume that it's all his fault. Okay? As you work on growing in godly communication, and this is how I want to encourage you, you and he will notice this. I love this this proverb, Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. See, they're pleasant. They're like honey. And, and the idea here in this verse is like a lot of honey. You know, not just a, a little taste, but a lot of honey. And, and the, this word for sweet means pleasing and attractive. It's pleasing and attractive to the soul. It is healing to the bones. And as you develop that... And as you are making progress, you and your husband will notice that, wow, talking with you is sweet like honey. You know, I, I enjoy it. I, I want that. Okay, so that's how you can know you're making progress. You'll see the evidence of it. Another question, ladies ask, what do I do if I believe I have helpful information on a different perspective? My husband has made a decision about something, and, and we, we didn't really talk. Or maybe we talked, but then I've thought some more about it, and I've got some helpful information. I've got a better idea. I've got some wisdom that I'd like to share. I have a different perspective on it. Well, biblically, ladies, you have a right to appeal. Okay, I uh, think here an example of it is Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, there when um, he makes an appeal, you know, the, the commander, you know, said, you, you got it, you know, here, here's what you have to eat. And he's like, hmm, some of that stuff I can't. As a, as a godly Jew, I can't do that. So he makes a respectful appeal. Ladies, you can do the same thing. You have the right biblically to do the same thing. Martha Peace explains this. A biblical appeal is a request or a plea to a person in authority for the purpose of asking them to reconsider or reevaluate a command, a directive, or instruction. This is from her book, The Excellent Wife. Uh, excellent, it's an excellent book. Uh, ladies, I recommend it to you if you haven't read it, and it's one of those uh, you'll want to read over and again. Okay, um, There's so much in there, and she talks a lot more about that.
but remember Proverbs 16.21. It's similar to one we had just a minute ago. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Okay, sweetness of speech. So in other words, if you're working on the quality of your speech and you make these respectful appeals to your husband, he's going, from your side anyway, he's going to be more apt to listen and to say, okay, yeah, because you're coming in, coming to him not in a, I know better than you and you're gonna, you're gonna fail miserably if you don't listen to me kind of attitude. Okay. Now, that's not manipulation. So, you know, don't like, you know, you're, you're always a grump and then, you know, but then, honey, you know, we, you know, I don't mean that. That's manipulation. Okay. Sweetness of speech is that this is who you are. Okay. This is how you normally talk to him. Okay. And it should, you should continue that as you're making this appeal. And I want to elaborate a little bit. Like I said, Martha has, Martha Peace has a lot to say to you ladies about that, but a few things I want to call out and add. Express to your husband willingness to comply even if he doesn't take your advice. Okay? I know that's going to be hard. But you, that's how you have to do it. Okay? And I'm going to make it even harder for you. Sorry. But you do everything you can to make his decision that you don't agree with to make it a success. Do everything you can to make it a success. Okay? So, different reasons for that. One, if you, you know, try to thwart it, guess what? He's going to blame you when it doesn't work. Okay, let's say it's just not, a, it wasn't the right way to go, the, the wisest path. Okay, but a godly attitude is that God put this man over me. And he said, this is the way we're going. This is the direction. And so, because I love my Lord Jesus, and he told me to obey my husband and submit to my husband, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to put my whole heart in it. Okay? And, if you're not fighting your husband on it, thwarting him, and it doesn't go well or does go well, that's a chance for him to, to learn. And he sees your godly behavior. It's like, you know, I was kind of being a jerk, telling you, oh, this is what we're going to do, and I don't want to hear what you have to say. And you put your whole heart into making it work, and it worked. I realize now that it really wasn't a good idea, but because of what you did, it worked. And that is convicting to me. Okay, So there's a lot of reasons why to, why you should do it that way, why you should not only express to him if, if he... You make your appeal, and he reconsiders, and he says, no, I still am convinced that what I had decided is, is the right path. We're going to do that. And you say, okay, I'm on board. That's that's the way to do it. Second, make your request with respect. Again, Ephesians 5.33, we're going to get to it in First Peter 3.2 and all. But do it with respect. Um, another one, be humble. Ladies, you, sometimes there are, there are areas that you know more about. It, it may be an area your husband knows more about, but just because you're kind of a step back from it, you might see something he's not seeing. But be humble because you might be wrong. Okay? Uh, you, 
you're, you're a sinner just like your husband is. And we husbands are sometimes wrong and you ladies are sometimes wrong. So be humble. Okay? And be patient. Now, I'm talking about patient not just with your husband, but with God's work in your husband. Be patient with God's work in your husband. You see, if you think about the way God works in all of us, and it, it applies equally to your husband as a leader, okay? God will use your husband's failures to grow him as a leader. It's part of God's training process. Now, it's a godly thing for you to say, I think the path that you've decided on will end in failure, but I'll, I'll get behind you all the way. You express that. He fails. God can use that, and, and that's how God works to train your husband, to help him become a better leader. Okay? And, and you, know, you may say, yeah, but he, he's not learning those lessons. Like, well, but you be patient with God because you be patient with God's timetable, too. Okay? Because He knows what He's doing. He has the timetable worked out, and you need to trust in your Lord. And remember that He is, He's not only growing you, but He's growing your husband. Okay? Ladies may ask this next question. What, it, what do I do if I'm married to an unbeliever? So turn over to 1 Peter 3, where we were earlier, and Georg read for us. 1 Peter 3. Verses 1 and 2, Peter says, In the same way, that is, the same way as Christ submitted and, and suffered, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. The husband who is here called, said to be disobedient to the word is an unbeliever. Uh, chapter 2, verse 8 uses it that way. Okay, So a man who is disobedient to the word is an unbeliever. He's not obeying the gospel. Ladies, and, and this is written to Christians, so Christian ladies, believing ladies. If you're married to an unbeliever, and, and most probably all of y'all are married to believers, but... You know, if you know someone, learn from this so you can help them with it. If you're married to an unbeliever, you still have to submit to him. Okay? Except, same way with a believing husband. Except when he tells you to not do something God has said to do. So he forbids you from obeying God. Or if he tells you to disobey God. So, so if, you know, he were to say... You know, I don't believe in God and, and I don't, you know, you, you, you can't go to church. Well, do the respectful appeal. And if he says, I'm still, no, you're not going to church. Then you have to disobey. Okay. Because you're, you have to obey God first. Or if he says, you know, I've, I've got our taxes worked out and, you know, yeah, cheated a bit and we're going to get some extra money and, I want you to sign off on it, and you have to say, no. That's sin. Okay, I have to obey my Lord. 
but seek to win him to Christ. But, Paul, or Peter says, to do it without a word. So, in other words, you are going to preach to him, but you're going to preach to him through your conduct, through your behavior, your godliness. And, and he describes that here. And so that's how you're going to preach to him. So you're without a word. And so when it comes to the gospel, you're just, okay, zip, nope. But I'm going to live a godly life before him. Now, after seeing that over the years, and he says, you know, I, I, I have been a terrible husband, and you've been so good to me. How do you account for that? And you can say, let me tell you. Okay, so if he's asking, you can tell him. But again, economy of words. Don't unload the truck on him. Okay, you can tell him the gospel if he asks. But until he asks, let it. you preach through your life, your behavior. That's what God uses. You see, it isn't just you, but God is using your godly behavior to preach the gospel to him. To say, there's something different about this woman. Pay attention. Remember, really the big point in you submitting is to point people to Christ. And if your husband is not a believer, that's your opportunity to point him to Christ is through your godly submission. Now, some people apply this to basically everything in that relationship where a Christian woman is married to an unbeliever. But it's really just talking about the gospel here. So you can talk to him about other things. So if you know if he's sinning and it's impacting you, you can talk to him about that. But you still follow the guidelines that we've been talking about for communication. Okay. So that second half of verse one and then verse two is is written to women who are married to unbelievers. But the rest of that whole passage, those six verses, are for all women, including those with believing husbands. And so, believing ladies, you're not off the hook. Okay, we, I don't have to worry. My husband's a believer, so I don't have to worry about, you know, verses 1 through 6. No, sorry. Most of it applies to you. Okay? Uh, and how do we know that? Well, Sarah is used as an example of respect toward a believing or unbelieving husband. Well, he's our father of the faith, right? Okay? So, she's an example of a Christian or believing woman with a believing husband. Okay? So, most of this applies to you, ladies. So then, you ladies may ask, how do I respond to my believing husband when he sins? Okay? And we have to talk about that because there are people out there in the right books and they say, you're not to say anything. It says, without a word. Okay, well, we already said that that only applies to the gospel. Okay? You... You should respond to your husband's sin. Now, not not every time. I mean, right? You want your husband to respond to every one of your sins, you know? So it's just like with with each other. We we have to use some wisdom and decide. Okay, are we going to talk about this one or not? You know, and and so he is your brother in Christ. So follow biblical guidelines. Jesus taught Matthew seven verses three through five that that passage that, you know, we just kind of like, oh my, you know, take the log out of your own eyes. So we're talking to you ladies, so dealing with your husband's sin, you got to take the log out of your Oh no, yeah, he's the one with the log in his eye. You know what he did? Jesus said, from your perspective, the log is in your eye. 
Okay, so you make sure that if there's anything there, even though you think it's a little thing, for you, you need to see it as a log. And you deal with it and you take it out of your eye first because the reason why Jesus calls it a log is because even if you have this little sin, like your, your husband, you know, he just flew off the handle and, you know, went into a tirade just, you know, saying all kind of ungodly things. And, and then, you know... You, you did what you thought was a little thing in response. Well, what Jesus is saying is that until you take that little thing out of your eye, you can't see to help your husband. Okay? So you take it out of your eye first, and then you can see to help him. Okay? So it doesn't mean never talk to other people. Uh, think about Luke seventeen three. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. See, he's your brother in Christ. But do it... You know, with Galatians 6.1, you're seeking to restore your husband. You're not, you're not just there to thump him, okay? That's not what it's about. To restore him in a spirit of what? You remember? Gentleness, right? Meekness. And, of course, if your husband persists in sin, he's unrepentant, um, and... And it's, it's, it's of a nature that needs to be addressed. Matthew 18. Okay. And, and sadly, there are people out there who are teaching in the name of Christ that, well, you know, even if your husband is, you know, doing some horrible things, he's committing adultery or something like that, that you can't say anything. No, that's not what the Bible says. Okay. You have to say something. If he didn't repent, then you, you have to go through the Matthew 18 steps, right? Okay. So. Let's talk about a little more about what Peter says here in these first six verses. So let me read all of those together now. First Peter 3, 1 Peter 3.1 In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses... And they supply the word merely, and I think that's good. Yeah, you can do those things, but that's not what should be attract, you know, attracting or what you're pointing to yourself. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God, they used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So for all Christian women, except for the second half of verse 1 and then verse 2, everything else applies to all Christian women okay, who are married, all wives. It should be the hidden person of the heart, a gentle and quiet spirit, respect. Um, and again, we see in this passage the connection between your submission and your communication with your husband. Okay, Those are, are linked. Uh, they have to go together. That's why we're spending time of talking about communication. They are necessarily intertwined. How you communicate has a huge impact on how you submit. 
So you begin by cultivating the hidden person of the heart. Wayne Grudem describes it this way. He says it's the wife's inward nature, her true personality. So the idea is what what he's talking about here and these words he's going to use to describe it is to make that the real you, your true personality. But it's not a it's not a manipulation technique. This should be you all the time. Okay, so what we're going to talk about here, like gentleness and all, that should be you all the time in relation to your husband. Okay? So what should that true personality be? Well, it should be governed by gentleness, quietness, and respect that we find here. Gentleness describes someone who doesn't insist on getting their own way. Someone who's not pushy. Someone who's not self-assertive. Someone who doesn't insist on their own rights. And remember, ladies, Jesus described himself as gentle. So he is not talking here about weakness. Okay? Quiet. It describes quietness, peacefulness. And that flows from an inner peace. Think Psalm 131, verse 2. David said, I have quieted my soul. That's the idea that he has here. Okay? This, you quiet your soul. You have this quietness from the inside that manifests itself. And then, like Sarah, behave respectfully toward your husband. And we'll get to that later in Ephesians 2, in Ephesians as well, but um, you must show respect toward your husband. So you ladies may ask another question. How do I handle differences on moral issues that, that aren't explicitly defined in Scripture? I mean, there's some things like, okay, so what are we going to do about school for our kids? Um, the choice we make. Or maybe, you know, one of you thinks that we ought to boycott this business and the other one doesn't. Or child-rearing specifics, you know. We'll, we'll get to child-rearing. We'll talk about some some biblical principles you have to follow. But then, you know, just if you've parented for very long, you know that each kid is a little different. And just how you work those things out, the specifics, you know, takes a good bit of work. Well... You or he might feel very strongly about something. But we're talking about things that are not, you know, you can't point to a thus saith the Lord. Okay? So you might feel strongly about it. You might feel like you have a biblical case for it. But you can't show, you know, chapter and verse that thus saith the Lord. Okay? So, well, I I feel very strongly that we need to boycott whoever. Okay? And your husband's like, no, I really don't. That's not what we're going to do as a family. You know, how, how are you going to handle that when you disagree? So you respectfully appeal to him. You ask, okay, can can we take some time and you know, talk about both sides? And let me share my thoughts on this. And, and can we talk about that? And then, dear lady, pray about it. Pray for your husband in it. And then wholeheartedly support his decision, as we talked about earlier. You let him know that, okay, I feel very strongly about this. And here's why I think Scripture supports the way I, I feel on it. But I, I know that you're the head of our home, and so I'm, I'll follow, and I'll, I'll wholeheartedly support you in, in what you decide. And as I said before, work hard to make it a success, even if it's not what you agree with. And again, we're not talking about things that are sin, okay? Sin issues. We're talking about things that are not sin issues, okay? <clears throat> and be careful too. You know, we're, we're we can be bad about making our opinion. You know, the eleventh commandment, right? 
And uh, and so be careful not to, to elevate some of these things uh, to, you know, the Ten Commandments type, you know, status. Okay. Okay, another question, lady may ask, what do I do? What do I do if my husband isn't very good at leading? Okay, well, let me first say, God may ordain that your husband not be all that he should be right now, or even forever. You know, ever. You don't know what God has ordained for your husband. You must be content in the Lord, regardless of how your husband behaves. And again, you know, abuse, physical abuse, is a whole different thing. Okay, that that's not okay at all. Okay, um, I'm not saying you, you don't submit to that. You should not. Okay, but trusting God's wise plan regarding your husband and trusting God's timetable. And sometimes it's going to be diff- uh, difficult. And if so, embrace Jesus' example. Remember, we read earlier, uh, chapter two of First Peter, verse twenty-one: "For you've been called." For this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You, ladies, sometimes you're going to have to just entrust yourself to the one who does righteously, your Lord. Okay? And trust that God knows what he's doing by putting your husband in charge. I get that it's probably hard a lot of the time. But you trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. One more. What if, you ladies say, what if I'm not currently married? Then that, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why that might be so. What do you do? Well, encourage those who are. Encourage the wives. So, ladies, if you're not married, encourage those that in your life that are wives as they are working on developing this character. Encourage them in that. Um, if you've you've been a Christian for a while, mentor younger women. And that mentoring, the Titus 2, doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out, formal process. It can be just, you know, having coffee while the kids are napping, you know, and, and talking through these things. Share wisdom with other wives if you were once married and not now. Uh, yeah, here's what worked, here's what didn't work, Okay. Help them to understand the scriptures and how to apply them to their lives. But also, those of you ladies who are not married currently, work on developing this godly character we've been talking about. Develop that in yourself so that you manifest it in your obedience to Christ. Remember what he said here is that wives submitting to their husbands, godly wives submitting to their husbands points to Christ. And it's how the church is to submit to Christ. Okay, so you work on developing this character in your submission to Christ, you as part of the church, and develop this same kind of spirit toward those who are your leaders, and think in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. So, husbands, make sure your wife has the time and the energy to do these things, to work on these things, okay? So that's your job for now, okay? We'll have more for you later, but you make sure she has the time and the energy to work on these things. And husbands, be patient. Encourage her in these things. Wives, you say, oh, I've been working on it. Okay, excel still more. Okay, Peter and Paul both say that. Excel still more. Everyone, pray for the wives among us. As you pray for the flock, name this wife and pray for her. Name that wife, pray for her, right? Well, as we come to the Lord's table... I want to 
a verse I hadn't read yet, Georg had read, verse 24 of 1 Peter 2. Talking about Jesus, he is the one that when he says in the same way you wives. So he's calling you to to follow Jesus example. OK, and we read part of that. Now, verse 24, talking about Jesus and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Jesus did that for you. Will you live for Him? Let's meditate on that as we think about Him dying for us here at the table.